24, 24 hours, the last day in the life of Jesus. The clock's ticking, and uh, we took a slight diversion, inevitably, last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, for us to think about that particular part. But we're, we're taking a step back now. It's almost as though we're going back uh, deliberately, and we're going to spend over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this 24 hours, really 24 hours that changed the world. Uh, It is the most significant 24-hour period in the whole of human history. There is nothing more important than this. You might be thinking, well, um, I'm not sure about that. Uh, You might be thinking, for me personally, there's lots of other issues which personally are far more important than this 24 hours in the life of this historical figure, Jesus I think what we are hoping to do over time is to to explain why this event is incredibly important for every one of us, not because simply it is a historical event, but because it has profound personal and collective importance for every one of us today. That's why it's so important. That's why it's significant. One of the things that Matthew would working through Matthew's gospel in a way as we look at this, not exclusively, but most of the time we're looking at Matthew's uh, gospel. One of the things that Matthew really emphasizes right the way through his gospel is he's continually uh, reminding us of one of the things that Jesus did, which was to come and to establish a kingdom, to come and establish a kingdom here in this world. Now, what we see in this little section, at least we see, we see lots of other things, and we could, to be perfectly honest, we could spend a month just on this little chapter. Uh, But we're going to focus on this one particular issue, which is the clash of kingdoms. The clash of kingdoms. One of the things that has pretty much been recognized, increasingly been recognized, established into our way of thinking, is one of the marks of a healthy society is a robust judicial system. That's one of the things that is really at the center. To be perfectly honest, it was the classical age, the Greco-Roman age, which really developed this idea. Before that, there were, if you like, there were despot monarchs uh, who would be uh, ruling with an absolute authority. What we see during the Greek, Greek and Roman empires is the emerging of the idea of a democratic society. Now, relatively speaking, it wasn't quite what we would expect today, but it was the emerging, it was the idea of a democracy, the idea of, you know, for particularly for the Romans, the idea of a senate. But at the very core of it is the idea of a robust judicial system, we might moan all over the place uh, right at the moment for all sorts of issues. Let me just remind us for a moment that for as bad as it can be, we are astoundingly blessed in this country that we have a just system at the, des- the heart of the desire of our country. Now, we're going to talk about all sorts of issues around that, but we, we like everything, like everything, uh, when we um, have something good, it's never as good as it could be, but sometimes we need to be reminded it's not as bad as it could be as well. 
And when we look around the world, when we see the way other, other nations just despise the idea of democracy, we should be incredibly thankful at the situation that we find ourselves in. We have this idea emerging, the idea of, at the very found, foundational idea, is the idea of innocence until proven guilty. That's one of the things now I know and you know that increasingly that is a difficult concept. It's a difficult concept because of our emerging ideas of communication, our emerging communication capabilities. So the idea of social media makes that very fundamental principle of our judicial system a real challenge to maintain. It's very difficult, increasingly difficult, to maintain the idea of innocence until proven guilty when we have this plethora of communication which is just out there in an instant which is tarnishing people and marking people as guilty who are innocent. Uh, that's one of the massive issues that we know we're facing. And uh, we really haven't got our ha a handle on it yet, have we? We don't know how to handle that issue. It's one of the things that we really hold on to. But at the same time, one of the things that we see is it doesn't always work. Remember Barry George, uh, accused, found guilty of the Jill Dando murders. Those of you who are old enough to remember that. Uh, spent a long period of time in prison. He was finally on a retrial, proved to be innocent. Uh, now, terrible that it was wrong in the first place, but wonderful that we have a system whereby that can be retrospectively addressed. So we're living, really, with the emerging ideas of this. We're now living with the ideas that emerged around the time of Jesus before and after the idea of a robust judicial system. That's great. But you know, and I know, that we're talking about the idea of perfection and principles there. Our society, the world that we live in, tells us that we have problems with that. If I just say, well, two ideas, three words, Hillsborough and Midstaffs, those two ideas tell us that we have a massive issue at the core of our society. Every society has this problem. The idea that uh, absolute injustice can be covered up for decades, people cannot receive justice. The idea that there can be 400 unnecessary deaths in a hospital system, a system which is designed to care and covered up and, and hidden and not resolved, tells us for all of the aspirations of ideal, the world that we live in does not live up to the way that we would want it to be, the way we design systems for it to be. Now, if we think about just that for a minute and say, well, what's all that got to do with this? I think it's got this to do in our thinking today. We very easily and rightly recognize that a significant part of the work of Jesus on the cross 
is the, the work for individuals, you and me, by faith and trust and belief in him to be saved. That's absolutely right. But what about this? If Jesus, according to Matthew, is coming to establish a new kingdom, what is kingdom all about? And how do we see the work of Jesus on a world scale, on a kingdom scale, in the face of the massive issues that he was the victim of? Where kingdoms militate. Are we talking, is the Christian faith only about an individual salvation? Only about me? Or does it give us the hope that the future is a just kingdom? Does the Christian faith give us the idea that our hope is not that we individually get saved, although that is at least part of it, but rather that our future is the idea of living in a reconciled kingdom, a kingdom which does not have these kind of injustices as part of it. Do Do you want that? I think all of us, when we read the newspaper, and that's Shows age, doesn't it? When we, when we flick through Google News, or whatever you do, <laughs> who reads the newspaper these days? When you look through the news, I'm sure many of us look at that and think, what is going on in the world that we live in? Doesn't it make you want to think? Doesn't it cause you to think in your minds, is this as good as it's going to be, or is there a hope of something better? The Christian faith says there is a hope of something better. In fact, more than that, there is the promise of something better. Now, the question is, how does God intervene in this world in the face of kingdoms to resolve it? Now, if Matthew is talking continually about Jesus and his kingdom, we see here the clash of a kingdom against the cl- against two other opposing kingdoms who actually come together. Let's begin, shall we, at the uh, beginning of chapter 7. Early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders are making their plans how to have Jesus executed. That's interesting, because actually, in the previous chapter, we've already read that Jesus has, has already been tried Verse 59 and verse 60 of the previous chapter say, the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that he could be put to, so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses were brought forward. So here's the situation. Jesus, just to give you a kind of a, a picture of how it's worked out, Jesus has been taken, he's been arrested at night. He's been tried through the night by the Jewish leaders. Uh, And then early in the morning, they are working out how to make sure that he is found guilty. The legal process in the Jewish world was such that two things are important. Firstly, the legal process worked like this. You're going to be tried, uh, and the, the... the verdict will not be delivered 
until the next day. Until the, the following day. It's a very important principle in the Jewish system. That the verdict would, would be on the next day. In other words, there is a cooling off period. There is a period of balance. There is a period of reflection. What do we see? As we see Jesus in his situation, we see Jesus who is taken in the night, who is tried through the night, and the very early in the morning they are working out, having already decided that he is guilty, they are working out how to make sure they deliver him for crucifixion or to die. They want to make sure that they get rid of him. There's the situation that Jesus is facing. Now, the reality is, as we look at that, Jesus, therefore, apart from the fact that he faces false witnesses, Jesus is facing a totally unjust legal system. He is facing precisely the kind of things that you and I read in the newspapers, get really upset about, and rightly, we think it's wrong that the legal process should be delivered honestly, truthfully, fairly. We see Jesus entering into this world, being faced with a trial which is unjust. It's really important that we see that. Jesus faces the injustice of a legal system which is not delivered. It's not just the fact that false witnesses, people who come into court and lie about him, uh, it's the fact that the legal system itself, which is designed to protect the individual, is not worked through honestly, truthfully. Jesus, first thing in the morning, we see, they're committed to the idea. They have found him guilty, we see in verse 1. So, they bound him over, led him away. They bound him, led him away, and handed him, him over to Pilate, the governor. That's another little kind of indication of what's happening here. One of the things that we need to see is that uh, the Jewish authorities, you remind, remind ourselves of the situation, uh, Jerusalem is under the control of the Roman authorities. Uh, Rome, is, Rome is the rule. But the way that Rome ruled all of their captured nations was that they would implement local rule which would, be, would come under the authority of Roman rule. It's a classic technique of managing com uh, countries that are uh, invaded. Uh, Machiavelli, we're going to come to Machiavelli in a few minutes, Machiavelli in his book, The Prince, writes about exactly that method uh, of subjugating a nation. The idea that what you do is you take it over, but you use local law as the means of law, but you keep control of it. That's exactly what the Roman authorities did. But what the local authorities did not have the right to do is to put to death the guilty person. They could find them guilty, but then they had to hand them over to the Roman authorities because the Roman authorities were the final judicial system, the final authority to decide on life or death. 
Now, isn't that interesting? Because what does that tell us? It tells us that the Roman authorities, even at that point in time, we see the emerging of the idea of a just society. To some extent, we know that the Roman Empire was barbaric. We know that, but it was probably less barbaric than the barbaric nations that it was invading. And so what they were doing was gradually, little by little, that they were introducing a kind of a cap, a protection. You can have your local courts, but we're the ones who finally handle the issue of life and death. And so Jesus is handed over to the Roman authorities, to Pilate, the governor, who was a shocking, awful, terrible individual. His reputation for violence and self-centeredness was incredible. Handed him over to Pilate. There's a little interim bit here. We sort of were watching the trial, and then Matthew introduces a little, little section here talks about Judas. If you hear a few weeks ago, we saw that Judas was the one who was one of Jesus' disciples who actually betrayed him. He was the one who went out and handed him over, basically, brought the authorities into the garden, met Jesus, kissed, kissed him with greeting, and identified him as the one to be arrested. Here we've got this situation where we have Judas now, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of, of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. If we want to understand, I think, one of the main reasons why Matthew introduces this here, is to remind us as part of the storyline that Judas knew that Jesus was innocent. Here is, as far as Matthew is unraveling the story for us, here is an innocent man. Do you see the contrast? Jesus was condemned, but Judas knows he's innocent. There's the contrast. He's condemned but innocent. Judas is the reminder. But it goes further. Because what Judas does in his testimony, he comes into the, uh, the chief priests and the, and the leaders and the elders and he says, I, I've done a terrible thing in essence. Let me paraphrase him. I've done a terrible thing. He's innocent. Take back the money. I don't know whether Judas was thinking at that point, if I hand over the money, I can effectively buy him back maybe. I can resolve this issue. This can be turned around. Have you ever been in one of those situations where it's just spiraled out of control so badly that you would do absolutely anything to resolve the issue that you now find yourself in? But it was too late. The chief priests and the elders, their response is fascinating. Judas threw the money into the temple and left. What is that to us, they've said? And his response is to throw the money into the temple. It's your responsibility 
What can I do? Just take it. The end result, filled with that horror of what he has got himself into, he goes out and he hangs himself. This is not This is not somebody who's just realized they've made a mistake, is it? This is somebody who is absolutely racked with the guilt of the responsibility of the decisions that they have made in life. Filled with remorse. But do you see what Matthew says? More than that, fulfilling what God had said would happen. Remember we saw a few weeks ago, who's in control? Who is in control? Judas goes out, he hangs himself. Actions speak louder than words. Great statement that, isn't it? Not all the time, but it's very true. Look at the behavior of the religious leaders. What absolute rank hypocrisy. The money gets thrown into the temple. The chief priests pick up the coins and said, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. (laughs) Isn't it a terror? Oh, we can't touch this money. Guys, never mind the money. What about the innocent man who's now being condemned? And your issue... Is whether how to use this money that's been thrown into the temple. We can't put it into the normal funds. Uh, how should we use it? I know, let's buy a field so that foreigners can be buried in it. That's the way to resolve it. We're all right now. So just, just look at the situation. Their response basically says, we know he's innocent as well. This is blood money. You know, if it wasn't the fact, if it was a perfectly acceptable thing that had happened, if this was this blood money idea is the idea that there is this is tainted, if it was a just, honest thing that had been done, it would not be a problem. But they know that it's wrong. (laughs) Oh, dear me. It just shouts doesn't it the way power and political maneuverings and authorities and men and women in power work doesn't it just shout I mean to be honest if this was written couldn't you be reading this online in a few months time When some investigative journalist finds out that the chief priests, they used the money. They used the money to buy the field. Still called the field of blood. Do you know that? Because actually, they knew he was innocent all along. What does it say? It says that power and authority in this world is constantly open to corruption. Why? Because power and authority in this world is run by people who are broken and who are corrupt. That's why it always has the potential 
to end up in the situation that we see here and the situation that we read about again and again and again. But what has happened? Jesus has put himself in that situation. He has given himself to that. So Jesus is handed over to Pilate. Three things that Pilate sees. First thing, he sees an opportunity. Verse, 12, verse 11 says this. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor. The governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? What a great question. <laughs> what a brilliant question that is. Here's, here's Pilate. These Jews are a pain in the neck. They're an absolute pain in the neck. There's always uprisings. They don't accept Roman rule. They're they're filled with all of their old ideas. They've got this temple thing going on. They've got all of that stuff. This job, it's just hard work. I just, I I have Jews that just disdain for them. And then suddenly, right in front of him, is an opportunity for Pilate. Why? Because the accusation against Jesus is he's claimed to be our king. And Pilate says, great, what if I kill their king? Do you see how it worked for Pilate? Here's an opportunity. Here isn't the opportunity for justice to be worked out. Here is the opportunity for political capital. I am not going to make a political statement about any specific historical event over the past few years. But I am sure that you can think of some situations where those in authority have decided not to do the right thing, not to do the just thing, To do the politically expedient thing. To do the thing which just sorts it out to enhance their position. To make sure that the things work out the way they do. Pilate saw an opportunity. Here's the thing. Jesus becomes a political pawn in a statement of power. And Pilate has the opportunity to kill the king. And then... Beyond that, Pilate has the opportunity in verse 17 to manipulate the people. There's a tradition at this particular time of the year that somebody would be released. Jesus Barabbas or Judas Barabbas. Historically, All of the indications are that he was a a murdering thief. That's the indications. And there was the opportunity to make sure that somebody was off the streets. And the pilot has an opportunity here to manipulate the crowd. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus who is called the Messiah. See how that plays into the previous comment? Here's the king. Okay, people. 
do you want me to kill your king? Or do you want me to release Judas? That was what was going on in Pilate's mind. But he knew how to play the people. He knew which way it would go. Absolutely knew which way it would go. He knew the way the crowd were stoked up at that moment in time, demanding Jesus' death. And here's an opportunity to manipulate the people once again to my advantage. Machiavelli, mentioned him earlier, Niccolò Machiavelli. Shocking uh, Renaissance Italian uh, leader. He wrote this. The vulgar crowd is always taken by appearances. And the world consists chiefly of the vulgar. (laughs) That sounds... To interpret for us today, he, he, he he basically said, the crowds are always open to being manipulated. They're always open to being manipulated. And if you learn how to manipulate them, you will do really well. You see how Jesus is right at the very center of injustice by the Jews, injustice by those individually closely associated with him, reminding those in authority that he was innocent. That's what Judas does. Judas reminds the Jewish authorities Jesus is innocent. Now Jesus is at the center of injustice with the Roman authorities. Isn't it fascinating the way Matthew portrays it? Because the next thing is that Pilate's wife becomes the reminder, the kind of the opposite perspective should have been the brakes to say, he's innocent, don't do it. Both of them, both the Jews and the Roman authorities had the opportunity to intervene because innocent parties said, it's not what you're saying it is, he's innocent. Judas And now Pilate's wife comes to Pilate and says, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, uh, sorry, let me go back a little bit earlier. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife, verse 19, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Don't have anything to do with him. Moment number two. Pilate, here's your moment. Here is your moment moment. You know, most of our lives are defined by a a relatively small number of moments, aren't they? The decisions that we make at certain points. Here's your moment, Pilate. You have this man in front of you accused, and you have your wife who brings you this. I mean, come on, how many times would Pilate's wife have intervened? How many times would she have had dreams about a peasant Jewish leader, a peasant preacher? How many times would she have gone to that point and said, don't do it? She wouldn't have cared. She would have been more bothered about whether her Gucci handbag had arrived that day. That's what would have bothered Pilate's wife. But she says, no, stop, don't do it. 
both of them had the opportunity to see the injustice. So here's the question. How is that connected to Jesus, injustice, and the kingdom? Look at verse 14. Jesus made no reply to even a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. How did Jesus engage with injustice? With silence. He responded to injustice with silence. The same injustice that we continue to see in the world today. The same kinds of injustice that we are horror struck with when we see the way it works out. Why? Why is Jesus silent if he's the one to come and establish a kingdom? Because he gives himself to that injustice... Because he knows he is going to triumph. That's why he gives himself to that injustice. He allows himself to be taken unreasonably. Innocent blood shed. He allows himself to be tried in the most despicable of ways. He refuses to stand against any judgment He gives himself to it. He allows himself to be taken. And he knows that at any moment he could call down a legion of angels that would release him. But he gives himself to it. Why? Paul makes it really clear to uh, Paul makes it really clear to us in Acts chapter 17. He says the reason it doesn't make it clear in relation to this, but I think the reason is clear. The reason is this. Because the one who is currently here, described as the one who is being judged, is going to return one day to be the judge. There's the difference. That's how the kingdom of Jesus is established. Because the one who is judged, who allows himself, who gives himself, who allows himself to be taken and destroyed and crushed, isn't beaten. He's killed. But he lives again. Lives for what purpose? To return to heaven as the king of heaven and earth. To be revealed one day as the judge. Do you see the amazing picture of the Bible? The shift of position that takes place. The judge is the one who was judged. In a sense, the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities under the chief priests and under Pilate represent every authority in the whole of history who have dealt unreasonably, unjustly, who carry before God the responsibilities of governing in a way which is faithful and just. They stand as an emblem, a picture Of the whole of history. The crushing mess of human condition. 
which means that we can never have just authorities. They stand there and we see Jesus returning one day to judge them all. That's great news. It means that for all of the injustice that we should continue to work against, continue to stand against, it will not go unchallenged. It will be resolved because the judge of all of the earth will return one day and will hold every individual accountable. Do you think Jesus, before before Pilate, was thinking... Oh no, I've had it. It's it's all fallen apart. Or is there a sense in which, and Hebrews tells us this, there is the future for the hope before him. That the hope beyond the cross, what is the hope? The hope is definitely a people, but the hope is the fact that he will be vindicated. And one day, do you know what will happen? The Jewish leaders and Pilate will stand before the one who they judged. Isn't that amazing? Pilate will stand before Jesus. The roles will be reversed. He will stand before Jesus and he will be judged. But you know, if that's for Pilate, then that's for all of us, isn't it? Jesus doesn't come and establish a kingdom with conflict and with absolutely standing against and opposing. He comes and he, and he, he establishes a kingdom by giving himself to all of the injustice. So that you and I can say the injustice that we see around us. Here's the thing. What if Jesus had stood against that injustice and it worked out just that one moment in time for the better? What about all of the other injustice in the whole of history? The fact is that Jesus gave himself to that injustice so that you and I can know that he is going to return and he is going to establish a kingdom for all of eternity that will be just. We will never see injustice like this in the kingdom that Jesus will establish for eternity. That is great news. I want to live in that kind of kingdom. I want to live under that kind of authority, a just authority. Where actually there will be no injustice because there will be no sin. There will never be a court in heaven. There will never be a trial in the, in the future eternity. Isn't that great news? Because you and I will no longer be corrupt. We will no longer be trying to run this world in our own strength. Because Jesus will be king. The issue is, I guess, are we prepared to meet that king.